This is Condopedia. Here we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some humor mixed in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this month's Condo Crunch. Today's much anticipated session is on acting and reacting reasonably, keeping condo matters in control. We have some fantastic speakers lined up for today's session. I just have to say, first off, wow, what a fantastic turnout we have today. We had almost 300 registrants for this session. With more and more condo matters going to court or the Condominium Authority Tribunal, we wanted to do a session on steps to be taken or to be considered when there is a dispute and before that uh, matter reaches court and trying to resolve matters early or take steps that will protect the condominium corporation in the event that the matter does go to court. As you will have noticed, I am not Nancy. Our master moderator is in Kingston today at the CCI National Leaders Forum. I hope that she's having a great time and learning lots at the forum. I know she's presenting too, so I hope those presentations are going well. For today's session, a couple of reminders, as you know from previous Condo Crunch sessions, we try and impart as much information as we can in 30 to 60 minutes. Uh, because we're sending out the information today, we're not going to be taking questions in this session. It's an information sharing session. We do have regular Q&A sessions as well, with one coming up in December. I think it's going to be December 15th, but just keep an eye on our blog um, for a post about the upcoming Q&A session, and that's where you can submit questions that can be answered at that session. All right, let's jump into the substance of today's session. As you know, the session is about acting and reacting reasonably. We're going to start off with Jim Davidson, who will be introducing today's topic and some key considerations for you. Jim, over to you. Thank you so much, uh, Cheryl. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm going to start off with some introductory comments on this topic, and as part of my introduction, I'm going to quote from some recent decisions of the Condominium Authority Tribunal so that you can see how adjudicators are weighing in on this topic of reasonableness and acting reasonably and reacting reasonably. So our overall message today is pretty short. When dealing with owners and occupants, be reasonable. Now, I'm pretty sure that uh, pretty much everyone listening today is thinking, of course, that's no news. We know that we have to be reasonable. What I've noticed is that most people are reasonable most of the time. And I've also noticed that boards and managers are almost always reasonable, particularly when dealing with reasonable owners. But in my experience, problems can arise when we are dealing with those fairly rare owners and occupants who are unreasonable or excessively demanding. I think it becomes much more difficult to remain reasonable when an owner or occupant is being difficult or unreasonable. And I think it becomes particularly difficult to remain reasonable when an owner or occupant is being aggressive, rude, or abusive. Now, I, I want to stress, you are entitled by law to be free from abuse or harassment. But I think the key is not to respond in kind. And also, try not to let the other person's behavior 
knock you off of your reasonable track. So let me give an example. I recently watched an email dialogue unfold between a manager and an owner. I was being copied with the emails. The owner was abusing the manager. The owner wanted certain repairs to be performed to stop a water leak and was not cooperating in terms of required access to the unit. But more importantly, the owner was being rude and was lobbing personal criticisms at the manager. The owner's email messages included sentences like this. You have no idea what you are doing, do you? I don't have to wait while you figure out how to do your job. You are costing me money. This is pretty hurtful stuff in my view. Each time I saw one of these messages, I was wondering if it might be time for me to step in. It would have been absolutely proper, particularly for me as legal counsel, to explain the owner's duty not to abuse the manager in this way. But the manager's handling of the dialogue was really impressive. The manager kept explaining why, why the delays were occurring and kept trying to arrange a new convenient time for the required access. And the manager also said this, your personal criticisms of me are not fair and are not appropriate and also don't help us to work together to get this done. I ask you to please change your tone. The manager kept her eye on the task at hand and most importantly, didn't criticize the owner. It would have been so easy to respond with something like, you are uncooperative and unreasonably demanding. In other words, some sort of personal counterattack like that. But I think that might only have made matters worse. Instead, as I say, the manager tried to focus on the task at hand and tried to address the abuse without making any personal attacks of her own. And the amazing thing was that in the end, the owner apologized. In my view, what the manager did in this case was not easy. Condominium management is not easy. Condominium administration, being a condominium board member, is not easy. First of all, there is a ton of work to do. Condominium management and administration is busy. Second, you are dealing with other people's money and you are dealing with their homes and workplaces. These tend to be emotional, very emotional topics. Third, you will inevitably have a small number of people who want to know more than the average owner. These owners that want to know more are unusually interested or concerned. So you've got important jobs to get done and you've got a simultaneous need to keep your owners informed. And you've also got a few difficult owners who have unusual or extra needs for information. That to me is a really tough combination. It's hard to always stay reasonable in that sort of environment. And again, that's the task is to be reasonable. So what exactly does being reasonable look like in this context? And let me offer this sort of quick list that I've prepared. Number one, try to listen as best you can. Ask yourself, what would it be like to be in their shoes? What is worrying this owner? 
Secondly, be as responsive as you can be without breaching privacy or confidentiality. Third, if your response will be delayed, try to let the owner know when a response will be coming if that's possible. Next, don't let the owner knock you off track. Don't let the owner's words and actions stop you from doing what needs to be done and from your goal of fairness. Next, also try not to jump to conclusions. Many conclusions, I think, are only possible once you've gathered necessary information or evidence to properly consider a matter. So make inquiries when necessary and do inspections when necessary and hold off on a conclusion until you have that information. Next, I think be careful with chargebacks. Chargebacks are something, something very emotional for owners. Don't levy a chargeback unless you are really confident that the amount is reasonably and properly owed by the owner. And I think if in doubt, maybe sometimes forego the chargeback. Finally, when an owner is rude or abusive, try not to respond in kind. Be as nice as you can possibly be. At the same time, don't be afraid to say that comments are inappropriate and hurtful to you. You definitely have the right to be protected. Now, let me quickly run through a couple of recent cases as examples where we see some of these principles in action. So the first case I want to talk about, HAMO versus Metropolitan Toronto Condominium Corporation number 744. Here, the Condominium Corporation's governing documents prohibited animals. The Condominium Corporation nevertheless, nevertheless permitted a dog as a service animal for one of the owners. Another owner applied for an owed order to remove the dog on the grounds that the dog's presence violated her, the other owner's, human rights because she had severe allergy to dogs and mental distress caused by dogs. So this was a very emotional situation. The tribunal, CAT, ended up holding that the condominium corporation had properly permitted the dog. Now, here's what the tribunal said. I am satisfied that Ms. Clancy, the dog owner, provided sufficient medical information to the board to establish that she had a disability and that an emotional support animal was a required accommodation. And I'm also satisf satisfied that the board took reasonable steps to consider and approve her request for an exemption from the pet prohibition. The board did not automatically approve the exemption in response to Ms. Clancy's first inquiry. Instead, it required a formal request and a doctor's letter, and then requested clarifying information from Ms. Clancy's doctor. Once Ms. Clancy provided further information, the board reviewed her request and supporting documents, and then granted approval for the emotional support dog as an accommodation, subject to a series of conditions. I find that this decision was made in good faith and with due diligence within the standards set out in section 37 of the act. And just focusing on section 37 for a moment, section 37 says that board members must act honestly and reasonably. Here, the adjudicator said that the condominium corporation had met these standards by taking their time, gathering the evidence and coming to a reasoned decision in a very emotional situation. 
So that's example number one. And I want to finally give you this example, the case of Nikolov versus Halton Standard Condominium Corporation number 476. Here, the tribunal found that a spotlight installed on the common elements by the condominium corporation was causing unreasonable nuisance as a source of light in the owner's bedroom. In this case, the tribunal held that the condominium corporation had failed to undertake proper testing to prove its allegation that the particular spotlight could not possibly be the source of the alleged nuisance. Here's what the tribunal said. It was unreasonable of HSCC 476 to insist on having a board member present in the bedroom with the neutral party during the test. It was HSCC 476's insistence on being present during the test that was the proximate cause for the test not being conducted. Evidently, the owner did not want board members in her unit during the test, but the board member wanted to observe the test. So the tribunal goes on. I conclude that HSCC 476 had the opportunity to refute Ms. Nikolov's claim that the spotlight it had installed was the source of light into her bedroom and did not. I find that Ms. Nikolov's case stands and that she has established that it is more probable than not that the security light is the source of the light coming into her bedroom. So because the test wasn't performed, there was no evidence to refute Ms. Nikolov's claim. In this case, the tribunal felt that the board wasn't sufficiently cooperative in terms of the required testing. And it seems that the board's lack of trust for the owner and for the person conducting the test was the root cause. It appears to me that the board perhaps let this owner knock them off track. That's what I think. So in summary, here's the challenge. Some owners may be difficult to deal with. If you can, try not to let them knock you off of your reasonable track. Cheryl, that's it for me. Back to you. Okay, thanks so much, Jim. And I agree um, with what you're saying. Being reasonable is so important on both sides of a dispute. And that was a great example that you provided of a manager de-escalating a situation by responding reasonably. For our directors and managers out there, just make sure you take a step back, even if the dialogue's getting out of hand, to remember, as Jim said, do not respond in kind. For owners that might be listening, we know this is your home and where you live and emotions can get involved, but it's so important for everyone involved to speak and act with respect. Everyone has different things going on in their lives and kindness can go a long way. So when Jim was speaking there, he set out a great list of considerations or things to keep in mind when responding in a challenging situation. And I wanted to add a few comments about steps to be taken once a condominium corporation receives a complaint or a dispute arises to ensure that condominiums are acting reasonably and being proactive. So prior to engaging legal counsel services and incurring any associated costs with that, the condominium corporation should provide an opportunity to a non-compliant resident to correct the non-compliant behavior. The condominium corporation should also warn non-compliant residents that if the dispute is not resolved and the condominium has to involve legal counsel, it will be seeking to recover its legal costs. 
We'll hear more about uh, legal costs in a dispute from Victoria today. The next, I want to always say, act with reasonable haste. If you receive a complaint from a resident, don't ignore it. Confirm receipt of the complaint and then take steps to review it. Consider what information that you as a corporation need to fully understand the complaint or the request being made, if it's a request being made of the corporation. As the cases that Jim spoke about showed, investigating the request or complaint and gathering key information shows that the condominium corporation is acting reasonably. Next, ensure that you're communicating with the resident in relation to the dispute on a reasonable basis. This is being kind and respectful in the communication that's used. Involve all of the parties or all of the appropriate parties. For instance, if there's a non-compliant tenant, instead of just dialoguing with the tenant, make sure that you're involving the owner as well. Or if there's a non-compliant tenant and you're speaking to the owner, make sure that the tenant is involved. So it's really important that everyone in the situation understands what's going on and the impact of the actions being taken. Also, if there is an individual with mental health concerns or that needs accommodation, um, looking out to what accommodations may be necessary. Also, um, you can consider in some cases whether to involve family, friends, or medical professionals in order to assist in resolving the situation. Next, follow your expert's guidance. So section 70, uh, sorry, 37 sub 3 of the Condominium Act. As most of you are aware, it confirms that you can't be faulted for following the advice of an expert. So relying on experts is really important if it's a situation um, that requires expert involvement. Next, always consider what evidence you have. And if you don't have sufficient evidence um, in the matter, such as expert evidence, make sure that you're taking steps to obtain that information that you need. Certain disputes require different information or evidence, requests for accommodation as the can, uh, case that Jim mentioned. Um, they, the condominium corporation reviewed the accommodation, received the necessary medical information. So in that case, medical information was required to support the position. In other cases, when you're investigating noise disputes, you might have to uh, engage a sound expert. So if you're unsure, just make sure you're involving and relying on your professionals um, to provide guidance on the steps. Um, prior to proceeding to the court or the condominium authority tribunal, ensure that you've taken all reasonable steps in an effort to resolve the dispute. And then throughout the process, even as the process goes along, um, providing notice of potential legal proceedings, legal costs um, is something that is important. It's important for people to be aware of the consequences if a matter continues on. All right, so that leads us into Nicole's presentation. Nicole is going to be looking at some recent condominium, uh, condominium authority tribunal decisions that provide guidance on reasonable steps in these types of situations. So Nicole, over to you. Awesome, thanks very much, Cheryl. Uh, we've heard some uh, great tips today on um, acting and reacting reasonably. And as we all know, it's important to make sure that we're acting reasonably in carrying out the duties of your condominium corporation. And that sounds simple enough, especially with the tips we've heard today, but sometimes it, it may be difficult to know what is reasonable and what is not, or more specifically, what a court or a tribunal would consider to be reasonable. 
And so looking at recent court and CAT decisions can provide helpful guidance on that point. Uh, so I'm going to go over a few decisions that are recent where condominium corporations' actions have been found to be reasonable or where they have not. So starting with one case um, that was recently came out of CAT, it addressed reasonableness in relation to how a condominium corporation dealt with an owner causing a nuisance. Nancy Houle and David Liu of our firm represented the condominium corporation in this case. And ultimately, the corporation was found to have taken reasonable steps and was successful in obtaining an order to stop the nuisance behaviors and recoup some costs. In this case, a dispute arose between an owner and the condominium corporation about the location of a snow storage area. The corporation's snow removal contractor had historically been storing snow on a common element area that was adjacent to the owner's unit. While the owner had not previously raised any issue about the location of the snow storage, the owner began complaining about the storage location in early 2021, claiming that the resulting snow melt was adversely affecting his unit. So the corporation hired an engineer to investigate the owner's concerns. That engineer, though, did not find that the snow storage site was negatively affecting the owner's unit. Nonetheless, the owner continued his opposition, and in the subsequent, in the subsequent winter, in the next winter, uh, the owner parked his vehicle in a manner that hindered the ability of the corporation's snow removal contractor. That is, he blocked access to that common element area so that the snow couldn't be stored there any longer. And this resulted in an increased cost to the condominium as the snow was then required to be stored off-site. Uh, this ultimately led to the Condominium Authority Tribunal, and the tribunal found that the owner's conduct did constitute a nuisance. Significant for the purposes of our discussion today are the reasonable steps that the corporation took leading up to their success at the CAT. The corporation took steps to investigate the owner's claim that the snow storage was adversely affecting his unit by hiring an engineer to provide an expert opinion on the point. I know that professionals are costly, but sometimes they can offer very helpful guidance. And in most cases, if a condominium corporation follows professional advice, the adjudicator will consider this to be reasonable. As uh, Cheryl mentioned, Section 37 Sub 3 of the Condominium Act says that following an expert, uh, expert advice can protect against liability. The corporation, in this case, through legal counsel, also took reasonable steps in communicating with the owner and in addressing the owner's noncompliance. As the CATS decision noted, the corporation acknowledged its duty to accommodate and inquired about whether there were potential medical or mental health conditions that may have affected the owner's conduct in this case that the corporation should be made aware of. And the CAT found that this expression of concern about the owner's well-being was indicative of an intention to work together in the best interest of the whole community. So some key takeaways from this case are to hire an expert when their guidance is needed. Again, this may represent an additional cost, but it may be necessary to incur that cost to make sure you're reasonably addressing concerns and reasonably investigating concerns. Be community-minded in your communications, even when you're dealing with complaints and non-compliance. As we've heard, this can be difficult, but just try to stay on your course and show an intention to work together. So moving now to another decision. This is one coming out of 
the Ontario's Court of Appeal, which is also uh, represented by our firm. Uh, the court in this case found that the condominium corporation took reasonable steps in fulfilling its repair and maintenance obligations. In this case, an owner had complained about noise that she believed was coming from exhaust fans on the roof above her penthouse unit. The corporation took several measures to ensure that the fans were working properly, but the exact source of the noise, the exact source of the noise was not easily determined. The owner sued seeking to have the condominium corporation replace the two exhaust fans, and she alleged that the noise was sufficient to show that the corporation had failed to properly maintain the fans as they are required to do by the Condominium Act. The court reviewed the repair and maintenance steps taken by the condominium corporation and ultimately concluded that the corporation had in fact complied with its duty to repair and maintain these fans. So let's review what steps the corporation took in this case. Beyond the contract for quarterly inspection and maintenance of the rooftop fans, the corporation's contractor made several additional special inspections of the roof fans, specifically to attempt to identify the source of the noise. The contractor also exchanged the blower assemblies, a part in the fan, um, to install quieter parts or quieter assemblies that were above the owner's unit. And the corporation also retained an expert sound engineer to work with the contractor to try to locate the source of the noise. When a specific fan was shut off as part of the testing, the owner reported that the noise completely disappeared. So the corporation then replaced that specific fan. But the owner reported, unfortunately, that the noise persisted. The corporation then also retained mechanical engineers to again inspect these two fans, and the engineer concluded that neither were particularly noisy. The engineer said that one fan could benefit from some maintenance to the motor, so the condominium undertook that work right away. When the owner reported that the noise still persisted, the corporation replaced the two further fans located directly above the owner's unit. Even though the corporation's expert did not think that the fans were required, required replacement or were the source of the noise. After this second fan replacement, the owner initially reported that the noise still persisted, but eventually reported that the noise was at an acceptable level. So here, the condominium corporation really took more than just reasonable steps to investigate the noise, but rather took all possible steps to investigate and address this owner's complaints and properly repair and maintain these fans. Generally speaking, in a com with a complaint of this nature, um, the steps that you'll be required to take will vary from case to case, but they will likely include responding seriously to an owner without undue delay when a complaint is received, as, as we've heard, res properly investigating the complaint, including retaining experts where necessary, and carrying out any reasonable repair or maintenance recommendations that are made by those experts. So definitely don't get an expert report and then just let it sit. Act on those recommendations if you can. Uh, okay, so moving now to my final case for today, which is a recent decision from the Ontario Superior Court of Justice, where the court found that the Condominium Corporation acted unreasonably in not discharging a lien and in incurring excessive legal fees. 
This dispute initially arose uh, in relation to a $330 plumbing bill and a $698 water bill. The owner in this case thought that she had covered payment with her common expenses, but she apparently had not, and the corporation's legal counsel registered a lien against her unit uh, for $2,241. That covered the outstanding uh, expenses, interest, and legal fees. The owner provided a check for payment of that full amount, but was told that she would have to pay an additional sum for legal expenses in order to have the lien discharged. The owner then sent a second check for that amount, but at the same time started a small claims court action to dispute the amounts claimed. The corporation's legal counsel then advised that the lien would not be discharged unless she dropped her claim and unless she also paid the costs incurred by the corporation to defend the claim. The owner did not drop her claim and the corporation's legal counsel did not discharge the lien. As for the payments the owner provided, those were not applied to the unit's ledger, but rather were kept with legal counsel to offset the costs of, to defend the small claims case. The owner ultimately lost the small claims, claims court case and was ordered to pay the condominium corporation's legal costs in the amount of $4,524, a small portion of the $22,000 that was claimed by the corporation. Next, the corporation brought an action in the Superior Court for lien enforcement, that is to ultimately seek possession of the owner's unit if the full amount of the lien was not paid. By this point, the condominium corporation was seeking arrears of $34,561, which included um, those expenses initially and the uh, defense costs for the small claims court action. $52,613 in legal fees and disbursements relating to this Superior Court enforcement action, a declaration that the lien and notice of sale were valid, an order for vacant possession of the unit, and other related relief. The court in this case ultimately dismissed the condominium corporation's claim and declared that the lien and notice of sale were invalid. Ultimately, unreasonableness led to the corporation's defeat in this case. The handling of the payments made by the owner after the lien was registered was not reasonable and neither were the excessive legal fees incurred in relation to this dispute that, let's remember, was initially about utilities of just over $1,000. The corporation did have the right to register the lien, but did not have the right to refuse to remove the lien after all amounts were paid, including anticipated fees to have the lien discharged. So let's review some key takeaways from this decision for the purpose of today's discussion. Without getting too much into lien rights, which is not the topic of today's discussion, just be careful to ensure that your condominium corporation is dealing with lien rights reasonably. This is an important right for the financing and functioning of condominiums, but liens have a significant impact on owners who may ultimately lose their home. Make sure that you're taking reasonable steps to scrutinize the amounts claimed. It's also important to be reasonable when incurring legal fees or other professional fees. While costs may sometimes need to be somewhat disproportionate for various reasons, generally speaking, try to keep proportionality in mind. Ask yourself, are we spending $70,000 over a $1,000 dispute? And finally, it's important to keep in mind that these matters often drag out over time, which adds to costs and can add to being positional. Make sure that you're staying mindful of the big picture 
avoid becoming positional or focused solely on being right. In some cases, it may be necessary to look at what can be done to settle a matter, although that might not always be possible. And so th that's it for my comments for today. Thank you. And back to you, Cheryl. Excellent. Thanks, Nicole. That was a really helpful review of cases about reasonable steps and disputes. Those cases show how important it is that complaints or concerns are taken seriously. The first two cases that you reviewed show that the condos took the matter seriously, acted with care, and undertook the necessary investigations, and that was looked at favorably by the courts or the tribunal in that case. The more reasonable you are, the better it is for the condominium as a whole. The last case showed us that our unreasonable positions or losing sight of the key issues can lead to severe cost consequences. That leads us nicely into Victoria's presentation on the cost consequences that can arise when acting reasonably or unreasonably. Try as a party may, it's not always possible to avoid litigation. What happens when you end up there and who bears the costs? Victoria? Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so today we've really tried to impress the importance of acting reasonably in condominium related disputes. Um, my key point today is uh, a part is that a party's reasonableness uh, can impact the assessment of cost awards should your dispute proceed to the condominium authority tribunal otherwise known as the cat uh, or in court uh, the cat and the court have confirmed have continued to confirm that the principle of acting reasonably is a major consideration uh, in the assessment of cost awards uh, the cat's practice direction um, on the issue of awarding costs can uh, confirms that the CAT can consider uh, the conduct of each party and their representatives and the attempts by the parties to resolve the disputes and or to avoid them. And so it's always a good idea to make reasonable efforts to try to resolve the dispute before proceeding to the CAT and or court. Not only does this put you in a good position um, to bring your claim and to potentially obtain a cost award, um, but there is also a good possibility that you resolve the matter by taking such steps and uh, potentially avoid the legal proceeding and the related uh, costs altogether. So there are a few examples of CAT decisions uh, in which I wanted to highlight some of the cost consequences of um, acting reasonably versus not. Uh, the first decision is, uh, is a CAT decision, uh, OCSCC um, 656 v. Denise. In this case, uh, the condominium had started a CAT application um, against another owner for um, for allegedly smoking uh, within their unit. Uh, the owner had repeatedly denied uh, that he was smoking and had invited the condominium corporation to come into his unit to, uh, to satisfy themselves that the owner was not smoking. The condominium corporation refused to complete this inspection and instead started the uh, CAT application against this owner, um, relying upon the anecdotal evidence uh, from the complaining uh, residents. In other words, the condominium was um, basically relying on the complaints it had received from other residents, alleging that this owner had smoked within uh, his unit. Uh, the CAT ultimately uh, decided that the condominium corporation had failed to prove uh, the owner was in fact smoking. Um, and in particular, the CAT had found that the condominium corporation had failed to take reasonable steps to locate the source of the smoke, which could have included uh, inspecting the owner's unit. Um, in terms of costs, uh, the CAT awarded uh, or ordered that the ordered the condominium corporation to pay uh, $4,000 in legal costs to the owner. Um, so the key takeaway from this 
cat case is that the cat clearly felt that the condominium corporation um, should have taken uh, the further reasonable step of completing the inspection um, of the owner's unit in order to confirm the location of the smoke, particularly given the strong denials of the alleged smoker. Um, another step that the condominium corporation could have taken uh, was to consider retaining a consultant to assist in locating the uh, source of the smoke. Uh, the second uh, case that I wanted to jump into today is uh, WSCC uh, number 244 versus uh, Polly. In this decision, the condominium had started a CAD application against uh, an owner and tenant for failing to comply with the provision in the condominium's declaration prohibiting um, Dobermans or mixed breed Dobermans. Uh, the CAD had found that the tenant had a mixed breed Doberman within the unit and therefore found in favor of the condominium and ordered that the dog be removed. But when it came to awarding costs, um, the cat only awarded $1,700 in legal costs to the condominium, even though the condominium had incurred about $10,000 in uh, legal costs. Uh, part of the reason for this cost award is that while the condominium corporation had made efforts to communicate with the owner um, respecting this uh, non-compliance, it made very little effort to communicate with the non-compliant uh, tenant in an effort to resolve this matter. And so the key takeaway uh, of this case is that if you have a dispute involving a non-compliant tenant, um, don't just communicate with the landlord owner, also communicate with the uh, non-compliant tenant in order to try to resolve the matter. Um, as Cheryl had said earlier, you want to be contacting or you want to be communicating with all parties that are involved uh, in the dispute. Um, the third and final case that I wanted to jump into today is uh, YCC 229 v Roxin. Uh, in this case, uh, the condominium had started a cat application against an owner who was uh, causing excessive noise. Prior to starting the cat application, uh, the condominium corporation had investigated uh, the noise complaints received from others by having security attend the unit to confirm um, that this owner was the source of the excessive noise and then prepare reports uh, based on those inspections confirming that the owner was the source. Um, the uh, management had sent multiple notices uh, to this owner asking that they comply um, uh, with the condominiums corporations governing documents pertaining to um, unreasonable noise. Um, the uh, When that didn't work, the matter was referred to legal and then legal counsel had sent multiple notices to this owner um, asking that they, once again that they comply. Um, all of these notices had contained a warning to the owner um, stating that the condominium corporation would be seeking um, its legal costs um, should this matter proceed to um, the CAT and or court. Um, so Despite all of the condominium corporation's efforts, um, the owner continued to not comply um, with the condominium's governing documents, and the condominium corporation was required to start a CAT application. Um, the CAT uh, determined that the owner was in breach of the condominium's governing documents pertaining to unreasonable noise and ordered that the owner pay 100% of the condominium's legal costs in the amount of $9,000. Part of the CAT's reasoning for this, um, for this cost award was that the owner had acted unreasonably by effectively ignoring all of the condominium's efforts to try to resolve this matter and also by failing to participate in the CAT application or the CAT proceeding. Um, so the key takeaway from this case is 
act reasonably when dealing with an owner's non-compliance, even if the owner um, themselves isn't acting reasonably. At the end of the day, when you're before the cat and or the court, you want you want the adjudicator to see that you've acted reasonably throughout this matter, even if the other party hasn't. So the bottom line comment today is uh, whether you've acted reasonably throughout your uh, dispute is a major consideration for the CAT in court when awarding, um, well, when assessing cost awards. This is not the only consideration, but it's a really important one. And so prior to going to the CAT or court, it's you should always be asking yourself whether there are any further reasonable steps that you could take in an effort to resolve the dispute and or to prove your case to the other party before having to prove your case to the CAT or court. If there are additional steps that you can take, it likely makes sense to take those steps before starting your legal proceeding. As most of you know, it's, you know, legal proceedings are expensive and it's very rare for you to recover 100% of your legal costs, even if you're successful. And so acting reasonably throughout your legal dispute ensures that you will be in the best possible proceeding to bring your legal proceeding and to potentially obtain a cost award um, should you be successful. And again, as I had said earlier, not only does it put you in a good position in that respect? But there's also the possibility that you may resolve the matter by taking these reasonable steps and therefore avoid uh, having to start the legal proceeding and incur the associated costs. So that's those are my comments, Cheryl, over uh, to you. Thanks so much, Victoria. Those cases do show that cost consequences of a dispute can be severe. If you're a director of a condo or a manager, you should take every opportunity to work with the owner to try and resolve the matter before it escalates. As an owner, make sure that you're responding and working with the condominium corporation. My overall takeaway from today's session is taking extra time at the beginning of a dispute can help save time, frustration, and costs in the long run. So everyone, that concludes today's session. Just a reminder, if you have any questions you need answered, we have an upcoming Q&A in December. Keep an eye on your email for that. With respect to today's presentation, if you missed any part of it, don't worry. We will be putting today's session on a podcast that you can listen to. You can find the podcast by going to our website. Thank you to all of our speakers today for your great presentations. Jim, Nicole, Victoria, thank you. We hope everyone has had enjoyed today's session. We had a great time putting it together. I hope that everyone has a fantastic day. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn or on our website at davidsonconolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.